anybody else get overwhelmed just knowing that like God gets to hear that? Like that we get to come before his presence and sing and worship? Isn't it awesome? Hey, if that's something that you like, I need you to mark your calendars down. For Tuesday night, we're going to have a night of worship here at the church from about 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And uh, it is going to be an awesome time just between believers and our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, my name is Michael. If I've not got the chance to meet you yet, I get to be one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we're starting a new series today, and it's all about how Jesus leads his people, leads us into gratitude. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be really honest, but sometimes uh, I do not have an attitude of gratitude. Sometimes I can be uh, really ungrateful, but Jesus is going to give us today three reasons why you and I should have an attitude of gratitude. Hey, let me ask you something. Have you ever experienced a time in your life where somebody didn't do something that you wanted them to do? Don't look at your spouses right now. Don't look at your kids. But have you ever experienced a time where, where like, you had this idea, I want somebody to do this, and everything will be good, and then they did not that. They did something else, and it wasn't Good. Hey, the truth is, all of us have experienced times in life where we have this idea of what people should do, and if they just do it, everything would be better off. Yesterday, we ended our soccer season at the YMCA for the kids, and it was great because they canceled the last game. Praise God, right? But I'm going to show you a clip of what Remy Girl does as a three-year-old when someone doesn't do what she wants them to do. This is on the soccer fields. Take a look at this. Let's play it one more time. I want you all to hear the, the first of this. This is so good. This was during one of about 10 water breaks at a three-year-old soccer game, and she came up, and she's mad, and she says, I'm not letting those boys come to my birthday party because they're stealing the ball from me. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time around three-year-olds or not, but the birthday party's kind of a big deal. Like, if they tell you you're not invited to the birthday party, I mean, it's the equivalent of the, the, the one-finger bird for adults. I mean, like, it is the highest honor or the highest insult to be told you're coming to my birthday party or you're not coming to my birthday party. Hey, here's what I know about you and what I know about me. Not very much changes from the playground to adulthood. When people fail to do what we want them to do or what we expect them to do, we can uninvite them to be part of our so-called birthday party or maybe even our life in general. Hey, what do you do when people don't do what you want them to do? Hey, let me ask an even bigger question. What do you do when Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do? to do. Boy, that, that, that's a tough one, right? Where you've got this idea of how things should play out, how things should work out, and you ask Jesus for it, and listen, it just doesn't. What do you do? Today we're going to read a story of an account of two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha, and they're asking that Jesus would come and heal their brother, Lazarus. And we're going to learn in our story that Jesus does not do what they ask him to do. 
And in the middle of this story, I want to unpack for you three reasons for gratitude. Here, here's the kind of background for the story. Jesus is in another city that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are not in, and Jesus receives a message. Someone comes and tells Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And he knows that they're talking about his friend Lazarus. And upon hearing this news, the Bible says that Jesus stays where he is and Lazarus dies. And after Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to visit Mary and to visit Martha. And this is where the middle of our story picks up. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 32 through 44. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. And there should be one in the pew in front of you or the chair. And it should be on page 646. John chapter 11, verses 32 through 44 is where we're going to be today. And let me encourage you to do this before we read God's word. Would you pray this over yourself? Would you just say these words? Would you say, God speak, and I will listen? Father God, that is the cry of our heart this morning as we come before your word, God. As we come before to look at a story that all of us can relate to when you didn't do something that we wanted you to do. God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, cause us to listen. Show us three reasons that we can be filled with gratitude out of the story of the raising of Lazarus. God, thank you that you're still in the business of raising dead things to life. And I pray that you might even do that here in the room today. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Here's what the Word of God says in John chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. Y'all hold on, buckle up, we're reading all of it at one time, okay? So if your neighbor's yawning, punch them and say, wake up. Most important thing you're doing today, hearing the Word of God. Here's what it says. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, Jesus said to them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him, but some said this man healed the blind. Couldn't he have come and kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said this out loud for the sake of all those standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man came out. And his hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The first thing that I want to point out to you today, the reason that you and I can be filled with gratitude is this. Because the son of suffering sees and sympathizes with our sufferings. You can be filled with gratitude as you walk through life, and especially as you walk through sufferings, knowing the fact that the son of suffering, Jesus Christ, sees your suffering and sympathizes with our sufferings. Did you see what John chapter 11, verse 33 said? 
Here's what it said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And then John chapter 11, verse 35, we know this scripture. Then Jesus, he wept. John chapter 11, verse 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Y'all need to know this, that in the middle of your suffering, the enemy is screaming one thing at you. You are alone, and the Word of God is saying another. The Word of God is saying, He is near. I am here. Jesus, the Son of suffering, sees our suffering, and He sympathizes when His people suffer. And here's what I know. Suffering is coming for all of us. Michael, it ain't hit me yet. Put your seatbelt on, friend. It's coming. The Word of God says so. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, In this world you will have troubles. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Hey, anybody in the room like me and you're a worrier? Anybody worry? Man, I worry. I try not to, and it's hard. And let me tell you, Jesus wrote a verse just for you, just for me that deal with worry. Here's what he said. He said, don't worry about your troubles for tomorrow. And if that verse ended right there, I'd feel real good. But here's what he says. Don't worry about those troubles that are coming tomorrow because today there's enough trouble for today. <laughs> trouble is coming, friend. You might be right in the middle of it. The question is not when trouble will come or if trouble will come. The question is, what will you do in the middle of your trouble? You can't control if and when it comes, but you can control who you're going to take it to. Hey, let me tell you what not to do with your trouble. Don't take your trouble and put it on social media and then expect it to go away. Because your trouble is going to bother somebody that that troubles you, and then you're going to be in trouble about that trouble. And then you're going to be like me and not be able to keep your mouth shut or your fingers tight, and you're going to type something back. And trouble's going to have babies. Don't do that. Jesus, the son of suffering, sees and sympathizes with your suffering. Michael, how could you say something like that? Jesus has never lost a child. Hey, hear me on this. Listen to me. Jesus has experienced the loss of every child. Jesus has never lost a parent. Hey, look at me. Listen to me. Jesus has experienced the loss of every parent. He created them. He knows them. He loves them. You, think, and, you and I think we know what love is. Friend, we do not know what love is. The Bible says that God is love, that he is the very incarnation of it. Friend, when you're walking through trouble, you, you need to remind yourself that Jesus sees it. He understands it. There's a whole chapter in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, and it's all about the son of suffering, the suffering servant. The next time that you're getting down on yourself and feeling that you got it worse than everybody else, friend, you don't. Jesus understands suffering way more than you do, way more than I ever will. There is nothing that Jesus isn't able to sympathize with. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. We might be walking through something and say something like, man, nobody understands. 
friend, Jesus does. Jesus understands. Jesus sees it. Jesus feels it. This passage is such a mystery to me. And it's such a mystery to the disciples. I mean, Jesus gets the message, Lord. The one that you love is sick, and Jesus does something that nobody expects him to do. We expect him to get up out of the chair and run on, and instead he just sits back down and says, let's hang out here a while. I mean, that's crazy. And then Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha. I mean, here's what Jesus said. This is, this is back on in John chapter 11. The disciples, are, they're, they're really confused about this Lazarus thing. Jesus tells them, hey, listen, Lazarus, is, he's, he's falling asleep, and we're going to go wake him up. And, and they think, oh, well, if he's asleep, Lord, he's going to wake back up. We know he's sick, but if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. And then Jesus has to drop the hammer and say, no, y'all don't understand. He's dead. He died. He, he is gone. And then he says this, for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there because now you're really going to believe. Hey, y'all, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do. Come on, let's go see him now that he's dead. And then when Mary and Martha come to Jesus, Jesus shows up and, and Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother never would have died. Here's Michael's translation on this. Jesus, this is your fault. Boy, I would never say that to Jesus. Friend, you have and I have. We all have. Jesus, this is your fault. Let me just be super frank with you. Life is tough. And life is not fair. And it is hard. And it is filled with troubles. And anybody with half a brain that walks through life knows and understands that the very last place that you're likely to land on is gratitude as you walk through life. Man, I'm a Mary. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. But that's not the way the Lord wants me to be. And that's not the way the Lord wants you to be. The humanity of Jesus is revealed in this passage to us so that we might know that he is able to see our sufferings, to sympathize with our sufferings. And listen, y'all, he's not like that friend that you go invent to because you need to get something off your chest, and they don't even say anything. They just start venting too. And it's like, I thought you are supposed to be here for me right now. Jesus ain't like that. Jesus will listen. And if we will listen, he will show us what to do. In the middle of your suffering, no matter what it is, I, I'll need you to know that Jesus sees it and that Jesus sympathizes with it and that the day might not come in your life while you're alive here on earth where he's going to fix it. But let me tell you, friend, a day is coming where he's going to fix it all, every bit of it. He's going to wipe away every tear. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. That is where we are headed. Jesus sees it. Jesus sympathizes with it. Reason number two I want to give you of why you and I should be filled with gratitude is this. Even when we don't get it, even when we don't get it, He can still work in it for our good and His glory. 
even when we're walking through something and we just don't get it. Why? Why did this happen? Why does this have to happen? Why did it happen? When we don't get it, he can still work in it for our good and for his glory. Did you see what he said in John chapter 11, verses 39 through 41? Listen to this. Roll the stone aside. I would have loved to have been there for that moment with Jesus. Everybody's crying, everybody's wailing, including Jesus, and then he just gets up angry and says, Roll the stone away. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? So they rolled the stone away. Nobody in this story gets it. Nobody in this story knows what Jesus is up to. The disciples are confused. Mary and Martha are upset. And Mary's so upset that when he says roll the stone away, she's protesting. She don't even know what she wants. Lord, I wish you would have been here. No, leave the stone the same. Leave it alone. Nobody gets it. But I, I'm telling you that this is who God is. That he comes along right in the middle of things that we don't get, right in the middle of things that we don't understand, and he decides to work in the middle of it. I mean, this is what happens in the Old Testament story of Joseph. Everybody remember the Old Testament story of Joseph? If you don't, that's okay. Let me tell it to you. Joseph had 11 brothers, and Joseph was the favorite son. Don't have favorites with your children, and at least don't let your other children know that they're your favorite, okay? Keep it a secret. Joseph's dad made it known. Hey, Joseph, here's a bright, brand-new flannel, and I want you to wear this in front of everybody. Joseph's brothers end up hating him. They sell him into slavery, literally sell their own brother into slavery winds up in Egypt being falsely accused of raping someone and then he goes to prison for two years for something that he doesn't even do and then God what does God do God didn't go oh man it's too big can't do anything about that no nope. God shows up and says no I'm gonna work right there in that I'm gonna work right in the middle of that mess Joseph gets out of prison, is elevated to the second highest position in, Israel, in Egypt, and those brothers that betrayed him come and beg him for food and don't even know who he is. Joseph feeds them, saves the nations, gets to reunite with his dad again, and then the Bible says that his dad dies. And the brothers all get together, and you know what they're thinking? We are scared to death. We sold this dude into slavery. He's going to kill us. And here is Joseph's response to them. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good so that many people would be saved. Joseph understood that just because I don't get it doesn't mean that God can't work in it. And friend, let me tell you something. That is not just true for Joseph. Because that's the temptation, right? We read the scriptures and go, well, that's just true for them. That's just true for those biblical superheroes. Friends, they were not superheroes. They were people just like you and just like me. It's not just true for Joseph. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You're telling me that God can work all things for good? I'm telling you that 
from the facts of the authority of the word of God if you love him. If you love him and you will remain loving him, he can work it out for good. Michael, how does that work? I don't know, friend. I'm not God. But I believe the Bible. And he says, I can work it out for good. The disciples don't get it. Mary and Martha don't get it. But here's what I know. I know that there was a quiet hush when Jesus said, let's roll that stone away after the protest, right? Roll the stone away. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there in that moment? To roll the stone away, and it's dark in there, y'all. I mean, it's a cave, and then you see something stirring, and you see somebody coming out, and it is Lazarus. In the Gospel of John, there are seven signs that John writes for us. And he tells us in the book of John, I have written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There's nobody that day that was there watching this that didn't know and understand who Jesus Christ was because he just got done saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And they got to see it play out. I mean, y'all, this is such a huge moment in the scriptures. Get this. This is, this is crazy. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they hear about the raising of Lazarus, and they see the waves that it's causing in people. Because, y'all, you can't deny when somebody's been dead for four days. You might be able to deny it if they've been dead a day or two, or they just faking it, they just comatize. No, friend, he dead four days. People are coming to believe in Jesus, and the religious leaders hatch a plan. They say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just kill Lazarus. Well, go ahead and do it, buddy. Jesus will just raise him from the dead again. They want people to not believe in Jesus, and Jesus has to deal with them wanting to kill him for the rest of his ministry. Friend, here's what I know about Jesus. He is still speaking and bringing dead people to life back today. The Bible says that without him we are dead in our sins, that you and I are dead just like Lazarus was in that tomb. Smelly, stinky, dead. Nothing good with you at all. But when Jesus comes and he speaks and we come to believe in the gospel, it says that he raises us to newness of life. And out of all the things in my life that I don't get, that's the one that I don't get. I do not get it. I do not get the love of God. I don't understand it. How could he know me, like know me, and love me, and want to use me? How, how, how does the crucifixion work? Like how does an innocent man who's never done anything come and take all my sins and say, put it on me? I don't get it. But here's what I know. He did it for my good and your good and his glory. Friend, here's, here's the thing. I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what it is in your life that you just don't get, and I'm not going to pretend to understand or belittle the struggle, whatever it is, but I want to tell you something with biblical authority. Whatever it is, he can work in it for your good and his glory. And that should be your prayer. Lord, work this for my good and your glory. Because that's what he wants to do. I believe that the word of God teaches that Jesus does this over and over again, that he wants to do it in your life and my life. 
Let me show you the third reason that Jesus gives that we could be filled with gratitude. We should be filled with gratitude because of the privilege and the power of prayer. The privilege and the power of prayer. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 44 says this, So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up at heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I prayed this out loud for the sake of the people that are standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. And his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus, out loud, tells God the Father, thank you for hearing me in the presence of everyone. He leads the charge, he leads the example of what it means to be thankful for prayer. And Jesus is thankful for prayer, and quite frankly, friend, I don't really think that you and I understand prayer. I don't think you and I understand what a privilege it is and what power there is behind it. And if we did understand, we would never stop praying. Let me teach you two things about prayer real quick, okay? Number one, the scriptures teach that God hears the prayers of the righteous. Jesus is not saying, God, thank you that you hear my prayers, and it's a special status statement for him. No, the Bible teaches that God hears the prayers of those who are righteous. Michael, what does it mean to be righteous? It means to be committed to right living. Michael, how do I live right? Read this and do this. Read it, study it, do it, and then you'll live right in the eyes of God. Michael, how do you know that that's what right living is and that God hears the prayers of the righteous? I'm glad you asked. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. John chapter 9, verse 31, We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly people who do his will. Hey, let me tell you something about the power of prayer. If you are relying on the power of prayer and you have unrepented sin in your life, God is not listening. If you have stuff going on in your life right now that you know is wrong and that you know by the authority of the Word of God that it teaches it is wrong and you're doing it and you don't care, God is not hearing your prayers according to the Word of God. Hey, the Bible also says in the New Testament, husbands, that if you treat your wives like garbage, your prayer life is going to be hindered. She is a helpmate, not a do-it-all mate. A helpmate. Your prayers can be hindered by the way that you and I live. But the Bible also says that the prayer of a righteous man is capable of much. It availeth much. Jesus knows this. Hey, how's your prayer life? What's affecting your prayer life negatively? What's going on in your life that you know right now, it just came in the forefront of your mind, I need to stop doing this, stop partaking in this if I want my prayer life to be powerful? Friend, put it aside. Let me tell you something. There is no sin on the planet that is worth cutting off communion with God for. None. Jesus is pointing out that God hears the prayers of the righteous. I think that Jesus is also pointing out this, that prayer unleashes the power of God. 
We live in a world that is obsessed with this idea of power and obsessed with being greater than what we really are. I mean, we watch shows about people who have an encounter with an asteroid and then they can shoot webs out of their hands and, and we love it and it's awesome. Or we watch TV shows about people that can do things that they're not supposed to be able to do and we love it. We read books of people with superpowers. We love this idea of power. The people that we hold in the most esteem on the planet are the people that have power. And if we're honest, all of us want power of some degree. Can I tell you that, that I think all of us literally have the greatest superpower at our disposal at any time, and it's called prayer? Like that you and I get to talk to the living God and ask Him to do something on our behalf? One of my favorite pastors to listen to says this all the time. Listen to this. Whatever I'm doing, whoever I'm becoming, wherever I'm going, will never be its best unless it's covered in prayer. Whatever I'm doing, whoever I'm becoming, wherever I'm going, will never be its best unless it is covered in prayer. Y'all, your prayers matter. They matter so much more than what you think. And they literally can unleash the power of God in your life. Can I tell you a story? Now, at the end of this story, if you, if, if you have this idea, oh, Michael is so great. You've missed the point of the story, okay? Because I hate telling personal stories, but I want to tell you this story, and I want you to go, man, God is so awesome. Can I tell you the story of how me and Lena moved here? Do you know that resigning from a church and going to work for another church, if, if you've never done it before, I don't recommend it. It can get a little sticky because you can't put your house up for sale before you've told them, hey, I'm leaving. I mean, if you do, they're going to like kick you out and fire you. So you basically got to put your house up for sale after you've told somebody that you're quitting, and then you got to try to sell your house and find a house all in the same breath. It's fun. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Me and Lena are stressed out about, man, what are we going to do? And, and I just told Lena, I said, listen, let's just leave this alone. We're going to pray about it, and I'm just going to ask that God would work it out. Planning on resigning on a Sunday to come and start on Monday at work in here, right? And so we're praying, and this is about two weeks away, and it's on a Friday. And I just had this thought in my mind. I was like, man, I'm going to call these people that I met one time. I met them one time, and I think that they might want to buy our house. See, we lived in a house, and then the house, the lot right next to us was open, and about a year and a half beforehand, this couple from Chicago came in, introduced themselves to us, and told us, hey, we're going to be building our house right here in 2022. So I said, I'm just going to call them. You know, I just got this feeling. I'm, I'm just going to call them. Called them. I said, hey, y'all, we're getting ready to sell our house. I know you don't remember me. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, let me know if you're interested. No, no, we're not, we're not interested at all. We're, we're, we're pr probably going to push off building our house for another year. I said, okay, not a problem at all. They called me the very next morning, said, hey, we want to buy your house right now. I said, you ain't even seen it. They said, we, we, we've thought about this. We just, we can be there. We want to buy it right now. And I said, well, okay. And I called my realtor who was going to start calling people two days after that. And I said, hey, uh, I just sold my house. She said, no, you didn't. I said, I did. Here's the people's number. Call them, work it out, send them a contract. Let's do this thing. Okay. That's on it. That's at 10 o'clock that Saturday morning. At 2 o'clock that Saturday afternoon, I get a text message from this crazy lady named Kim Batts. Anybody know who Kim Batts is? 
Man, I love some Kim Bats. This is before I even started working with Kim Bats. And she said, hey, uh, here's a house that's for sale in Hopkinsville. Just thought it might be good for y'all. I look at Lena, I'm showing it to her, and she's like, we got to go. I said, yeah, we got to go like right now because there was nothing for sale here, y'all, at all. So I shipped my kids off to my parents, and I call them. I said, hey, I'm coming. I shook hands with him to buy his house. We bought and sold a house in six hours. Michael, how does that happen? I don't believe in coincidence, friend. I believe in the power of God, and I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in that. And this isn't just a story that happens sometimes, y'all. It's a story that happens all the time. It's in the middle of prayer that Elijah, the servant of God, is praying in the middle of a three-year drought and sees a cloud coming and tells everybody, go, because rain is coming. It's in the middle of prayer that that happens. It's in the middle of prayer that the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and empowers them at Pentecost to become witnesses. It's in the middle of prayer that Nehemiah prays one prayer, God, give me favor. And God overwhelms him with his power, overwhelms him with favor. And Nehemiah travels back to his homeland and builds a wall in 42 days. It's in the middle of prayer that Jesus Christ takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds 20,000 people and takes up my favorite meal of all time, leftovers. It is in the middle of prayer that the prison shackles fell off of Paul and Silas in the middle of the night. It's in the middle of prayer of a broken woman who is barren that comes before the Lord and says, Lord, give me a child. And God opens the womb of Hannah and gives her something that she could never even see coming. He gives her Samuel, who will go on to be the greatest judge that Israel ever knew. It's in the middle of prayer where King Hezekiah knows he's dying and asks God to heal him, and God gives him 15 more years of life. In our story today, it's right after prayer that Jesus prays and he speaks and dead people come to life. We have no idea the power of prayer, what it will do for you, what it will do in you. Let me be crystal clear when I say this. I believe that the most powerful and the most important things that you and I will do in life will be preceded by prayer. It will not be the financial decisions that you make. That will not matter. But the most powerful and important decisions that you will make and the most powerful and important things that you will do will be preceded by prayer. And here's the deal, friend. It might not even be your prayers. It might be the prayers of someone else. Here's what I believe about prayer. Prayer is the spark that ignites the flames of faith inside of us. Prayer is how you and I, every time we go to God in prayer, we declare this to God. God, I can't, but I know you can. Prayer is powerful. God hears the prayers of the righteous, and Jesus leads the charge in saying, Father, thank you that you hear us. And let me ask you a question. How's your prayer life? Is it where you want it to be? Is it going good? What's holding it back? You and I should be grateful to take advantage of the most powerful thing that we've been given, and that's to be able to pray to the Lord. I want to close with this, this final thought. 
the one who has the final words wants to hear your words in prayer. And that is something to be incredibly grateful for. Like the one who gets to decide everything by the power of his words. He wants to hear your words and he wants to hear my words. That's crazy to me. And it should lead us to gratitude. Let me pray for you. Father God, we just come to you, God, and we just say thank you, God. What else could we say other than thank you? Thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. God, thank you that there's no, nothing that we're going to walk through, no suffering, no pain that you can't sympathize with, that you can't speak into. God, thank you that there's no situation that's too far out of reach for you to touch it and work it for our good and work it for your glory. God, thank you that you hear us when we cry out to you, that you're a God who wants to hear from his children. God, I pray that you might unleash your power in Hopkinsville through the power of prayer, the prayer of your people that say, God, heal the brokenness around us, heal the lost around us, and use us to do it. God, would you do that? Would you do it for their good? Would you do it for your glory? God, would you do that? God, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.